Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, this past Sunday, Riverside Cavalry Chapel in Langley became one of at least three churches in British Columbia to offer in-person services, despite Dr. Bonnie Henry banning services until at least December 7th. And this little chapel was fined some $2,300. Meanwhile, it was business as usual at the jam-packed Costco's and Walmart's down the road. Drea Humphrey shall try to make sense of it all. And hey, just in time for Christmas, you're going to be getting yet another Rebel News show, namely Andrew Says, which I've been told is a zillion times better than Simon Says. Host Andrew Chapados will drop by to tell us what we're all in for. And letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day, and you had plenty, and I mean plenty, to say about my video regarding the grotesque takedown of Adam Skelly, the owner of Adamson Barbecue in Toronto, who simply wanted to operate a restaurant, but Mayor John Tory and public health head honcho, Dr. Eileen Davila, well, they begged to differ. So all the king's horses and all the king's men were sent in to shut down this beloved eatery in what was surely a day of disgrace in Hogtown. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. Sounds like he's going to let us do our thing for today and just let us worship and then contact us later if there's going to be any issues, which, glory to God, I'm super thankful that they're not just pulling a China move. So as you can see behind me, even though the church has been told for now they're going to be left alone, they will not be disturbing the service. There's more manpower here now. I think there's about six or seven officers all in line uh, Sunday morning during a church service. You guys saw the signs plastered all over social distance here. They've got the hand sanitizer out. It's not looking like a super spreader church to me, uh, but nevertheless, this is the most pressing crime, I guess, right now in Langley, BC. 
So what's the plan here today for the Christians? Uh, we're just discussing that right now with my supervisor. So. All right. So what did you tell them so far? Uh, we didn't tell them anything so far. I just uh, got some information from one of the contacts and that was as far as we went. Right. I heard one of the things they said was, you know, not to interrupt a religious service. Can you speak into that law at all? I won't be answering any questions right now. Um, I'll direct you to my supervisor, okay? Okay, sounds good. Is he here now or he or she? Uh, yes, one of them is here right now. Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right, so I'm just standing out here. See, the officers are here. Now, you, sir, you've got a lot going on here. You've got blue gloves, rags. So what's your job here today? Today, I'm just trying to take care of all the, um, just cleaning for COVID, just making sure that this is a safe environment for everybody that's coming into the building. We've been doing this all along. We want to maintain all the protocols that are in place with distancing and all those types of things that are going on. And this is just a big part of going around and keeping everything clean for people just so it's safe and we can keep any danger of uh, COVID contact. Um, now, as far as you know, has this location been tied to any outbreaks? No, zero. I think maybe you have a lot to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yeah. It's got to help at least. So, yeah. I just want to keep people safe. So what, uh, the police file number's on the top there, the very top. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else I need to know? Uh, no, uh, if you want to speed it, how do you speed it on the back? Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Have a good day, guys. All right, you too. God bless. God bless. Holy highway robbery. It seems that it wasn't just the staff at the Riverside Cavalry Chapel in Langley, B.C. that were cleaning up last Sunday. That's because local law enforcement was also cleaning up, as in fining the church some $2,500 by order of the Health Highness, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And joining me now with more on this egregious story is Drea Humphrey. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Drea. Hi, thanks for having me on this crazy, crazy, crazy segment. And it just gets crazier, doesn't it? But Drea, right mm -hmm. off the bat, the question arises, why can't this chapel open, yet the fitness facility next door can? Why is it that hearing a church service is verboten, but British Columbians can shop till they drop at the local Costco? How do you make sense of this? You know, as soon as I got there, I got out of the car and the first thing I saw, I didn't even have the camera or anything. The first thing I saw was people with their mats walking into the yoga studio. And that's great. I mean, what better way to stay healthy? And I'm sure that gym was practicing, you know, safety standards. But how is Dr. Bonnie Henry rationalizing, uh, allowing that to be open and then shutting down, uh, like you said, the chapel that does have certain rights that are supposed to be protected. Um, you know, there are some exceptions, but they actually have rights that are written in the Constitution uh, for freedom of religious expression. So it just doesn't make any sense. And then when you throw Costco into it nearby where I live, there was um, a superstore Black Friday sale that was out of the charts. Unfortunately, I didn't get there. I wasn't able to go when people were saying it, but I saw in groups online, people were saying, oh, there's no social distancing happening and you know they've got no taxes. So yeah, it's just not adding up. And you know, Andrea, even if we don't dwell on the freedom of religion part of the uh, Charter of Rights, um, mm -hmm. just looking, comparing apples to apples, as you know, last week, 
I, I, we covered what I thought was one of the sorriest chapters in Toronto's history, uh, quite frankly. Yes. Little Adamson Barbecue literally being shut down by all the King's men and all the King's horses. And yet just a few hundred meters down the road, a Costco superstore packed to the gills um, mm-hmm. with, by the way, its own food service counter uh, selling hot food. You know, Dre, what I'm saying is that it, if, if this is all about science driving this, how is it that science says, yeah, a big box store is perfectly okay with hundreds and hundreds of people in it, but a little restaurant, a little place of worship, oh, that's typhoid Mary territory. Well, you know, I think a lot of it is is just the data doesn't align up. Dr. Bonnie Henry did say that it has been shown that places of worship um, have contributed to the spread of the virus. But where is this data? What what places of worship and how does that compare to others? So you have people listening to that and thinking that these places of worships are some super spreaders. But as you saw in that report, that particular chapel has not been associated with a, a single outbreak, which can be as small as one person, by the way, even if there is an outbreak. And, um, you know, and then also in the Vancouver area, we have a bishop speaking out and he's speaking on behalf of over 70 parishes where not one has been linked to an outbreak. So how is it that there's this collective punishment where a church can receive a $2,300 fine uh, for opening their, their place of worship to the community, mind you, with, I don't, I don't know if you saw how spaced out people were, uh, they were quite spaced out and also, you know, taking in consideration that COVID-19 is out and that certain things should be done to, to prevent the spread of it. You know, Drea, you said something very important there, and that is, where is the data? If you were to go and ask uh, Dr. Henry, where's the data, you know, show me the beef, what would she say? I mean, are, are they releasing the data? Because quite frankly, just like yourself, I'm not aware of places of worship of any faith as being hotbeds of super spreader activity. No, I mean, as far as I can tell, and I've looked very hard, I have not been able to see uh, where where this is being where this is coming from. I mean, we've heard of outbreaks from gyms in our area quite a bit, and that's another reason why I did point out the gym. Um, so it definitely seems that gyms are spreading it more. And then yet we saw them get some restrictions in BC with the last order, but they weren't completely shut down like religious gatherings. Uh, The gyms uh, classes like joint classes have been stopped, but you can still go work out at a gym. Well, I can tell you, my local Costco in Richmond Hill, with just uh, about five clicks down the road from me, uh, the Costco there had an outbreak of six cases. And uh, as I understand it, it's just business as usual. I think if that was anything other than a Costco or a Walmart, um, bylaw and law enforcement would uh, come down like a papal bull. But um, when you were speaking to the people at this place of worship, Drea, what was their reaction having the police descend upon them, uh, giving them tickets? These aren't people, you know, as the saying goes, they're not going down to the bar wearing trouble on their shirt. They're, they're <laughs> no. good people. They just want to peacefully <laughs> worship. I mean, what, how did they, can, you know, make sense of this uh, when they were uh, given these tickets? 
You know, I think they were stunned to a certain extent, um, but not completely surprised. I think it's more of a surreal feeling. And the reason I say that is because they were already warned before that Sunday, contrary to what some of the local media made it sound like, they were told by bylaw before that Sunday that they could uh, expect to receive fines and also that the attendees could expect to receive fines. So everybody who walked into that church had been notified um, you know, by a church email and um, they knew what they were, were getting themselves into. And I know the pastor, um, he also mentioned, you know, there's more than one door. It's up to you which way you want to exit. And, uh, you know, they chose the front door, which I thought was, uh, you know, a statement in itself. They didn't, um, you know, shame themselves and go at the back door like they are some sort of criminals. They didn't hide that they're there um, to practice their religion. They came out the front door, even if that meant they were going to get fined. So, Drea, quickly, one last question. What happens this coming Sunday? Are they going to open under threat, I presume, of more tickets coming, or are they going to bend the knee and um, not have services? You know, that's a good question. The last I heard is still what you saw in the video is that when asked, you know, what exactly, what order are you acting on, there is some issue with that because uh, it's been very difficult to find the official signed order it seems not to have been released or as easy to find as all of the other signed orders that pertain to religious gatherings being closed. So the um, officers did say that they were going to have to discuss with their legal team uh, what jurisdiction they had to be there. Um, so I don't know if they've got that answer or not, but I have been checking, even to check today, and I don't, I still can't find that signed order that really lays it all out. So. It's going to be very telling. I'm going to go back Sunday and see um, see what happens. Gotcha. Well, Drea, it was a great report, and I guess we're going to find out one way or the other in less than 48 hours how this is going to play out on Sunday. So thank you and so much. And I'll just much. quickly say one more thing, um, that if anybody is watching this from the Vancouver area, the Lower Mainland area, and you are a church that is feeling led to be open, Rebel News is prepared to fight your fines, help you fight your fines. So just don't be stressed about that at all. You can contact us and um, go to fightthefines.com. Terrific. Thank you so much, Drea. Once again, a great report, and you have a great weekend, my friend. You too. Bye. Got it. And that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Hey, Rebel News viewers. Do you know there's going to be another show added to our stable, which includes, of course, Rebel Roundup, the fabulous gun show, and, of course, the superb Ezra Levent show. And guess what? Starting tomorrow, there's a fourth show coming your way. And it's not even on premium content. How do you like that? It is the Andrew Says Show, hosted by Andrew Chapados. And that's who joins me right now. So, Andrew, what's the deal with Andrew Says? That sounds like a segment from a variety show. What's the deal with <laughs> Andrew Says? Well, I've started a new show, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord of Ezra, I guess. Um, and it's been in the works for a few weeks now, trying to get guests. And our first guest is Dave Rubin 
from the Rubin Report, which is a big deal in my eyes. And it's essentially a long form, almost a podcast conversation. I think we went for 30 minutes is what we're going to shoot for for most of the episodes. And we just talked about the state of political discourse. We talked about Joe Biden. We talked about media coverage of the election. So what you can expect is essentially um, just a regular conversation, not unlike something you would see on uh, the Daily Wire or Joe Rogan or something like that, where I'm just talking to guests, getting their opinion on current events and uh, specific topics that uh, you'll have to tune in to find out, David Menzies. You know what? And I will tune in, Andrew. And from what you're telling me, it, it sounds like one of my favorite shows that is on the Fox Network on Sundays at 8. It is the Mark Levin Show. And it's something that you don't see a lot of. It is Mark Levin is the host and a guest and they sit down for an hour and have a civil discussion. Mark asks a question and lets the guest speak, and there's no interruptions, there's no distractions. Is that the kind of um, show we're going to get with Andrew Says? Exactly. Less yelling than Mark Levin. <laughs> I can't yell for that long, David. But uh, Oh, no, no. His TV show is much different than his radio show, <laughs> but continue. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what people have come to enjoy from newer media formats like Rebel News on YouTube, where there isn't just, or our daily live streams, where there isn't just small cuts where all of a sudden we're out of time. Sorry, once we get to the good stuff. I let Dave Rubin talk about certain subjects. He says whatever he wants and we get these true opinions on something, and we get more facts than we would get in a five-minute video or one of my own videos that may be between four to eight minutes long, let's say. It really lets you flesh out the topics, and, you know, if you're not familiar with him, which you may not be with all the guests, you really get a sense of what they're about and what kind of views that they support. Mm. And I take it you've already recorded the Dave Rubin uh, interview. How did it go? It went great. It's okay. great to have somebody who I think is such a big name as the first guest. It kind of helps uh, get other guests, as you'll see uh, afterwards. We got some great people coming in the coming weeks. And we had a great conversation about... Um, a lot about the types of media that we see right now in the election coverage, how they're saying there's no fraud at all, there's nothing you can point to, you're crazy if you actually want to talk about this stuff. And the bias that's completely present in places like CNN, where they just pretend like there's no political leanings at all. You've got Chris Cuomo on with his brother uh, making jokes, <laughs> the giant Q-tip comedy hour. You've got Don Lemon crying. You've got Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer basically being high-functioning androids, you know, that sort of stuff. And what's most apparent is in the reporting, this point of view is completely ignored. Like, all, all the evidence in the election you're talking about, it, it, it might not as well exist in, in their world. It's just another thing that Trump's being crazy about and Trump supporters are crazy about. So you really get to dig into that stuff, as we did with Dave Rubin, and one of the other things we were able to talk about is why so many conservatives are leaving places like California in the, in the United States. They're going to Texas. Uh, New Yorkers are going maybe to Nashville or somewhere in the south where there's less taxes, maybe more gun freedom, and you know less terrible outcomes like a city San like San Francisco would have, where there's just bums and feces everywhere. Yeah, no, I mean it sounds very interesting, and and you know I share your fascination about what we've seen happen in the United States on November third and onward, Andrew. Um, our colleague, I think, uh, Kian Bexty, has done absolutely superb work with the Dominion Voting Systems reporting with our shoestring budget. You know, Keegan uh, went down with Mocha to Spadina Avenue where it's located. I'm astounded 
that there's not a media mob outside that building with the live eyes running. This is, if the allegations are true of the voter fraud, this makes Watergate look like a little white lie. How do you explain this idea of the media party going, hmm, no story here? It's because this is what they hoped the outcome would be. And then they position it as if, oh, we're all going back to normal now. Now that Trump's gone, we can just go back to normal. And that was the media's plan all along. And, and the Democrat Party is to make things as chaotic as possible, make a mountain out of every molehill possible, whether it's a nomination for a Supreme Court or a district judge or, you know, him firing an individual from his staff, like Scaramucci or something, for example, or Omarosa. Every little thing is chaotic so that when Trump is gone, we can say, hey, things are back to normal now, David. Yeah. And I think if the shoe were on the other foot, there would be media outside of every single Dominion voting place <laughs> in Germany. They'd, yeah. be expo they'd be talking about how it was used in Venezuelan elections. Yes. And not to mention the simple <laughs> fact that an American election their votes are being counted in foreign countries, yeah. which make, should make no sense for any country. You should not have a foreign entity counting your votes. It's a fascinating story, and I'm fascinated by how overlooked and underreported it is, but I guess I really shouldn't be uh, since we've seen what's happened to the mainstream media in the last several years. Uh, you know, Andrew, what I like about your interview style is you are one cool cucumber. You, oh, uh, <laughs> you know, when it comes to being under pressure. In fact, we, um, we're not going to show a clip of uh, tomorrow's show with Dave Rubin, but we're going to show a clip of what happened back in June at Nathan Phelps Square. I thought this was maybe the best and perhaps the most important video we ever did at Rebel News. It was us reclaiming Nathan Phelps Square from a bunch of thugs called Afro-Indigenous Rising. And Andrew says was the um, first one on the scene. And wow, talk about an interview going off the tracks, not because of anything Andrew did, but because of running into a bunch of hostiles. Check it out. So we've established basically our own miniature society here. Um, not sure what the point is. Ma'am, you wanna do an interview? We're just asking. You want to do an interview, sir? Where are you guys from? Uh, just the YouTube. YouTube for what? For myself. Yeah. Uh, we're at City Hall. What are you doing here? Uh, we're at City Hall. It's public property. Hey, don't, don't touch him. Don't touch me. Hey, don't touch me. Don't do that, bro. Get out of our Why are you here? You're not welcome. We're just coming. bro. Yeah. Yo, don't touch him, man. Yo, don't put your hand on people like that, bro. Just came here to see what's going on. You guys are getting violent right away. No, you didn't even ask. You didn't even ask. No one's getting violent. We're not violent. That wasn't violent? Like, in entering into the space is violent without... Okay, walking places isn't violent. No, but you know an encampment's here and you just came, so... In a camp, you're on public property. I don't understand. In fact, you're at City Hall. So that was really incredible. I, I mean, you know, and, and this really, this is really something the mainstream media never runs into, which we do as rebels, that somehow there's this idea, Andrew, that if they don't like the media outlet or they don't like the line of questions or they simply don't like you, the cut of your jib, if you will, um, they use violence. It's not even a debate anymore. Um, what are your thoughts going back to that day when you encountered that mob? The first thing that I think of is how do these people think that they have a right to tell anybody who comes and goes on the property? One of the 
things that they mentioned was that, well, the other media outlets, they come to us in advance and they tell us what they want to interview us about and they ask us their permission. And I'm just thinking, well, crappy journalists, you're just going to let the subject of your interview who's squatting on public property tell you where you can and cannot go yeah. because what's going to happen? They're going to not like you. They're, they're not on your side anyways. The yeah. uh, communist anarchists do not care for the media anyways. So one person at the beginning tells me that I'm intruding on people's homes <laughs> and their their right to privacy while these are tents in Nathan Phillips Square. Yeah. Another person tells me that I'm making myself look silly by uh, talking to his camera as he's trying to live stream to, I don't know, two people. <laughs> you can see there that these girls try to block us from uh, walking. And I, and I think I, and there's those rare moments where you know you're getting through to people you can see if you can see their eyes there's something going on there and, and particularly these two girls that were there and i said girls is this really what you want to you want to uh -huh. do you want to be part of a group that tries to bully people off of public property and tell them they can't go places because what were they going to do they weren't going to physically stop me from walking and filming a sign and then the only uh, method of recourse they had david was to surround me and tell me that i was on stolen land until it started pouring rain <laughs> Yeah. And and then of course many of them checked into the uh, Sheridan Hotel. Exactly. That's the something street. that people forget too. <laughs> yeah. That these <laughs> activists who are, you know, they're out there doing it for the people and they're totally not just getting GoFundMe from left leaning individuals who are driving Mercedes, like the ones that yell at you when they drove by if you remember oh, yes. that part. Yep. They're staying at their how much is it a night, David? I believe it was $277. That's where the rates start. They're very yeah. good. And that's just across the street. So yeah. during daylight, you're protesting, you're fighting the man. At night, you're sleeping in his quarters. You got it. Tell me, Andrew, if you were given the opportunity to interview anyone in the world, either present or past, who would you choose? Well, I think your answer would be Elvis, first of all. Let's get that <laughs> no, way. it would not it be. It wouldn't be? <laughs> I think obviously I would have to pick Trump right now, a world leader right now, whether it's Justin Trudeau or Donald Trump or even Doug Ford at this point, just because, and I'd probably go for somebody I disagree with first because somebody like Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau never has to actually answer tough questions. They never yeah. even have them in the vicinity of difficult pose their way. They can either just not have these people called upon at all, or in the case of Doug Ford, um, I got a doctor or an MP behind me that I can shove, shove under the forefront <laughs> to get these uh, questions answered. So if I have to choose one person, I guess it would be Justin Trudeau right now. Really? You know what? That, that, that is fascinating. I, I, I think I'm more sympathetical with your first choice, Donald Trump. I think uh, that would make for a great interview. I think if I was looking at anyone who is deceased, my pick right now, because of the way the year has gone, Andrew, is George Orwell. I would love to have seen, I mean, remember he wrote 1984 in, um, it was published in 1948, so it was just reversing mm -hmm. the digits, and then died just a few years after that. I would love to get George Orwell's take on what we've been going through with this pandemic, because it has been a very Orwellian time uh, in the last several months, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. And a lot of the things, I've been saying this for a while, that a lot of the things that were conspiracies just in March and April have come true in terms of masking and lockdowns and shutdowns. I'm hoping that a lot of it isn't part of some grand scheme that we've been hearing about. I mean, even though the Prime Minister mentions 
great resets and stuff like that and building back better is a theme all around the world. I kind of am hoping that it's just some sort of crooked payout that people are getting mm. and not some sort of worldly communist takeover, David. Well, we shall see. How about we <laughs> end it on this? You have uh, interviewed many people. Your worst interview ever. Of an individual person? Um, that's a tough, can I count you as a... <laughs> yes, you may. I'll take one for the team. <laughs> no, David, I can't do that to you. It's got to be one of these people at these protests who can't, you know, they can't take an argument. We can go with the person at that very protest. Yeah. The guy who has turned out to be a security guard for Garda World. The tall black guy <laughs> with the cornrows. He looked at me and he's like, you have to listen to what I say. And then he said what he wanted to say. And then I'm like, all right, how about this? He's like, oh, no, there can't be any discussion about it. So... You can, I can tell you anything that I want and tell you that you're on stolen land, but you can't ask me any questions about it. And that's just a nice bow tie on 2020, isn't it, David? Well, well you know, I'll tell you, you got off easy. He made mother jokes when he was talking to Unbelievable. me. Unbelievable. Which is so mature. For me, by the way, if you're interested, it was in 1986, James Doohan, who played Scotty in the original Star Trek. I interviewed him in Edmonton. It was the most soul-destroying experience of my life, folks. I was a huge, huge Star Trek fan. I had read every behind-the-scenes Star Trek book, and he was so mean to me, <laughs> so mean. Which character was he? He was Scotty, the engineer. Oh, so yeah, he's and, and, the Scottish accent? And, and, no, that, yeah, that was just a put-on accent. Oh, nice. And uh, I'll tell you, he was so cruel to me that when he had a teaser poster for Star Trek IV, and I said, by the way, uh, can you give us any idea what it's about? And he said, just tell your readers it's about whales. And I was so sure he was taking the piss out of me, I didn't put that in my article. It was about whales, what a guy. Anyways, these are the things we remember. Yeah, but you know what, as they say, you look back after the passage of time and you get a laugh, don't you? Especially when you realize that the first Star Trek movie of the next generation, the early 90s, in the beginning it has Whoopi Goldberg. Um, in case you didn't know that, David. Oh no, I know she was on that. Guyan. I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I tried to watch the first half of the movie and I couldn't. I mean, they lost all the old characters in space somewhere. There was a random explosion, Whoopi Goldberg shows up. You lose me there. Most well, of the time. that was the reason James <laughs> Doohan was so miserable to me is that there was a tiny uh, wire story, three paragraphs long, on the Edmonton Journal front page, and it was about a new show coming next year called Star Trek The Next Generation. And my opening question was, what do you know about this? And he says, not a bloody lot. I've been on the phone all morning with my bloody agent. He was really upset about getting cut out of the new show. But anyways. <laughs> what do they expect? Are you going to stay on <laughs> yeah, for another why, years? Why get mad at me? I'm not the producer of Star Trek The Is Next Generation. Is there a video any interview? Uh, no, thank God there isn't. And if there was, it would be taught in journalism school how not to do an interview. Folks. Tune into Andrew Says, the newest show. Uh, he's a great guy, great interviewer. You're going to enjoy it. Tomorrow. At 2 p.m. Eastern? Yes, Eastern time. There we go. Don't you dare miss it, as <laughs> Billy Red Lions used to say. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this.
they're just getting themselves in more and more trouble by the second. This is this is what united non-compliance looks like. When everybody from all walks of life realizes that this is full of shit and they can't do anything. Look, we're here, we're inside. I'm gonna start cooking. You want something? I'm gonna make you some food right now. and just about five minutes ago, we had the door that was locked down by the city actually smashed open from the inside out. And then we, then all hell broke loose. A lot of people here tried to cram themselves into the restaurant. Well, that was the scene at Adamson Barbecue in West End, Toronto last Thursday. Complete and utter chaos. In fact, given the enormous police presence, if you had happened upon the scene uninformed, you would have thought that there was an active shooter on the premises or maybe this was a terrorist situation. It was neither, of course. It was all about a restaurateur trying to cook up some brisket. And for whatever reason, you just cannot do that in John Tory's Toronto. In any event, you had plenty to say about Adam Skelly 
and the great Canadian barbecue rebellion that was brutally quashed because, well, Adamson Barbecue is not a retailer with special privileges like, oh, I don't know, Walmart or Costco. Travis Misao writes, they wouldn't go and arrest BLM and Antifa like that. No, they would not. And if you were to shut down the railway tracks in the name of climate justice or indigenous land claims, that sort of criminal activity would be allowed to linger for several weeks. How did we suddenly find ourselves, folks, living in a society that truly embraces a two-tier justice system? John Neal Bunting writes, Murders, rapes, pedos all over Toronto, but the whole force is here. Look at the force used. You would think Adamson is a mass murderer. You know, I agree, John. This was overkill on the behalf of the authorities, but that was the point. Mayor John Tory's worst nightmare would have been for dozens or even hundreds of businesses to follow suit. This was his message to other entrepreneurs that if you dare open your shop, get ready for all the king's horses and all the king's men to descend upon your store and haul you away handcuffed inside a police cruiser. Mayor Tory, that was a disgrace. Jordana writes, this is about the great reset. The politicians are admitting it. Well, Jordana, if the great reset means living in a city without getting to enjoy the best brisket this side of Texas, I want no part of it. Serendipity Me writes, OMG, he's a father of young children. This is beyond diabolical, God help us. Yes, and Adam Scali doesn't want a handout, folks. He just wants to serve food and make an honest living. You know, just like the Costco is doing, the Costco that is situated a mere 400 meters or so away from his restaurant. But yet again, if this pandemic has proven anything in 2020, it is this old adage, one law for thee and one law for me. NJ writes, we are all in this together, say the liars. But they are all in on this together. Indeed, NJ, I think the phrase, we are all in this together, has now knocked off the phrase, the check is in the mail, as the greatest lie ever uttered. And Gala's Great Danes and Mains writes, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. Thomas Jefferson. You know, but that's the thing, Gayla. Where is the rebellion? A rebellion cannot be just one man defying draconian laws. It would have been fantastic if other retailers had followed Adam's lead and had opened their doors as well. But obviously, anyone who was thinking about that sort of civil disobedience had second thoughts once the city used a bazooka to eradicate a flea. What we saw last week was one of the most shameful days in Toronto's history, and Mayor Tory, the pretend conservative with the fragile ego, he should be downright embarrassed about ever showing his face in public. It was that much of a disgrace, folks. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week, and hey folks, never forget, Without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.